so nice to have you here. So Zach's your video here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Pam Ehrlichman, Ehrlichman yeah. from Jebit. Yeah. Thank you for being here, hot off, uh, fresh off a flight from Indianapolis. Very fresh off a flight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. <laughs> you were just telling me before we went live that uh, one of the one of the folks that you were on a panel with at the event. You can give more details, but basically, she was jetting off to Mexico. Yes. After this, and you got to come back to the frigid Arctic cold yes. of Boston here. It was in actually colder in Indianapolis. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Yes. I have a buddy actually. My <laughs> college roommate. I hadn't seen him in years. I caught up with him last night in town from Chicago, mm -hmm. and he was like, "Dude, it's colder in Chicago and it's snowing. Yeah. So actually, it's all relative." I think the the cold front started there, and now and it's now like we're heading, getting hit by it's it. It's heading our yes. way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'd love to go back in time and and yeah. kind of get your, your origin story, if you will. Uh, but first, just for, um, for listeners or for folks that are going to see this on video, we'd love to just um, get a quick top line on where you are today and a bit, bit of background on Jebit. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I joined Jebit about a year and a half ago. Um, Jebit, I like to say, is, uh, is on the right side of history when it comes to consumer data and privacy. So we're a SaaS platform um, that brand marketers use. Um, think about it as the intersection of consumer experiences and first-party declared data. Okay. So uh, brands can go in, make fully branded interactive experiences that consumers love to engage with. It could be like a quiz or a poll or, or a product match, mm -hmm. things like that that mm -hmm. almost like gamify the consumer experience. Sure. But what brands are doing are asking a couple really smart, smart questions in that process yeah. that they need to know to personalize your experience. Great. So um, in this new world of GDPR, now CCPA yeah. and regulation, and, and obviously huge concerns with consumer data privacy, yeah. um, we are helping brands build their own walled gardens of first-party data. Interesting. So having fun building and getting explicit opt-in. Yeah. From from folks being very clear about it, but doing it in a fun, gamified, exactly. unique to that brand sort of way. There's no cookie cutter way of one size fits all for any brand. Yeah, they can they can go in. They they put in their own brand assets, their own logo, their own fonts, all of that, and and they can really. We have a whole bunch of templates for them to choose from and in, in different interaction types. But then they they decide what they want to do based on where they're putting it because mm -hmm. these can also be deployed in any channel. Yeah. They could be embedded on your website. They could be in social. Um, so. They, they can kind of make it their own. Very cool. And, yeah. and so the types of, what sort of companies are you working with right now? Yeah, so um, we work with a lot of D2C brands, mm -hmm. like um, some of them you may or may not have heard of. Yeah. Um, so brands like Pour Moi Skin Care and Bliss okay. Cosmetics, um, we, they're seeing tremendous results, which yeah. is really exciting. Um, Monster.com, actually, yeah. well, in local, yeah. Yeah. they're, they're cool. a big client of ours as well. Um, Shiseido, it, we, right. so we also have major yeah. big brands. It, as it well. makes a ton of sense. And so, sorry to jump over yeah, here. No. It makes a ton of sense. D to, D to C brands would be, um, in particular, leaning into you know building their own uh, data sets and, and customizing experiences because they're in the business of you know driving people to own and operated uh, for conversions and not selling yeah. on platforms like Amazon and losing margins. Yeah. So, um, is it you find that are you pretty heavily weighted toward um, brands in general that are looking to drive conversions on their own properties? No, and actually, yeah. we that's one of the things, if, if a brand's looking for that kind of direct DR yeah. response, that's not our okay. game, and we'll be honest with the brand. Okay. What we're trying to do is help them learn what's a couple of pieces of information. Mm -hmm. So for example, Charisma Resorts and Hotels, who yeah. I just left, um, they, they have a whole bunch of different properties. And so one of the experiences you might go in and they might ask you, all right, are you going with your family or just your wife? Yeah. Or, you, you know, do you want to sit on the beach and relax or are you looking for nightlife and fun? Yeah. And so by you answering these questions, yeah. she's now able to give you the recommendation that's perfect for you. Yeah. I get Nickelodeon resorts every single time I take it. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> because of the kids. Yeah, Everyone kids. else gets like this and, beautiful couples all inclusive. Yeah. My result is always Nickelodeon. <laughs> and so, and how old are your kids? Uh, 13, yeah. 10, yeah. 3. Yeah. 13, 10, and I think you said this in the pre-podcast questionnaire, yes. and oops. Yes. Okay. Yes, she, uh, she was no. my uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> surprise. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> um, what a blessing. Well, great. We can get our, I have a near three-year-old, so maybe we can get them together sometime. Yes. Um, because God knows I, my energy can't keep, I can't keep up with my daughter already. She's, she's, um, she's definitely me in energy and my mother and my, uh, 
my wife in beauty. Um, <laughs> but if anyone that gets to know me well knows that I'm, I can't sit still. Mm-hmm. That's my daughter. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So <laughs> the soon, soon, soon enough, we got to get her on a soccer field or something. I, I joke, I wasn't clearly planning on having a third kid in my 40s, but now I say she's keeping me young. There you go. You know? Yeah, There's absolutely. no sitting down. There's no, you yeah. know, I'm back on the floor playing yeah. playing dolls and yeah. everything else again. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I bet. Well, in the, you know, 13-year-old, you got a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, right? it's amazing. Yeah. I tell everyone. Yeah. At first, I thought, oh, my God, what, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. But then I joke with everyone and say, everyone should have kids eight years apart because it's four against one. Uh, yeah. You know, when, yeah. you, when you have my first two or three it's, years yeah. apart... And so he was a toddler. Yeah. I couldn't leave him alone with the baby. I couldn't his... shower. I couldn't do anything. So you went from playing a zone defense, uh-huh. as, a, as a lot of people say, right? Yeah. When you start having many young children. Yep. To all of a sudden, those young children grew up, and now you got like, I mean, you're you're out, man. Like, I've got full coverage. Your, your three-year-old's got full coverage. Yes. Everyone yeah. should have babies eight years apart. It's yeah. brilliant. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so before we go back, actually, let's kind of double-click on this. You, you do spend a lot of time, as particularly... Um, that fascinates me that given all the many things that you focus on, um, you do mentor working moms mm-hmm. and, uh, can you just speak to that a little bit and, 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 you know, how you go about that and, and why it's particularly, um, a passion of yours? Yeah. I, I think, um, when, after I had my first child, I was at Digitas, the Boston mm-hmm. agency and, um, in agency life, no one's going to say, I think you should go home, right? Like, yeah. I, I think you yeah, should put yeah. less hours in. Yeah. And I think early on, I had to figure out that I needed to just self-advocate. No one was yeah. going to tell me yeah. to, to leave early and go mm-hmm. back. I just kind of had to take that on myself. And so in sort of that journey, I just realized, wow, a lot of people, the things that I picked up and realized that I had to do for myself in this case, or the trade-offs I had to make, um, first-time mothers don't know that like yeah. even even things like where I'm gonna pump and yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. stuff like that yeah. so I just um in in with the women that I work with I just put myself out there and offer it mm-hmm. and and um and created like things like little mon- mother's lunches and stuff because yeah. um I think I was the first mom to have joined Jebit it's okay. a very young company yeah and then and then right after a, co- a couple a couple of the women got pregnant yeah. and so now they have babies and so we, I've created things like just mom lunches and just being able sure. to talk about some of those yeah. some of those struggles yeah. but I think the other the other way I end up doing that is um on social like on LinkedIn I yeah. I of course talk about Jabit but yeah. I also just yeah. talk about mom issues working yeah. mom issues yeah. and so by doing that and being open and transparent that way I've had a lot of people just reach out to me privately That's great. ask for a cup of coffee or yeah. just ask me for advice sure yeah you become a magnet for for like minds or maybe folks that are young women that are going through it for the first time and yeah they feel comfortable reaching out to you yeah that's great that's really that's wonderful that you do that um let's kind of go back in time and and kind of unpack how you came to be who you are today <laughs> um so you you grew up in Weymouth mm-hmm. And uh, when we did the pre-podcast Q and A, you shared that you you grew up in a very old home, and and it, and it, which also was haunted. Yes. Um, so please <laughs> do tell. <laughs> so the house I grew up in was from the early 1800s. So it's this back in the day, it owned like all the land to the to the reservoir behind us. Um, so it's a it's a big old antique yeah. home. Um, and so we, my parents moved there when I was about two years old, and you know, typical wooden houses, like you can hear the creaks. You can hear if you're downstairs, you can hear the footsteps above you. So, um, back in that day, my parents were each on bowling, you know, they were in their own bowling leagues and my dad's league was one night and my mom's league was another and they were afraid to tell each other. So my mom would be sitting on the couch. My dad would be out and she'd hear the footsteps. And so she'd run upstairs and I'd be sound asleep in my crib. And, but she was too embarrassed to say anything. Like she was kind of freaked out by it. So she didn't say anything to my dad. Little did she know, my dad was experiencing the same thing when my mom was out. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this was going on for a while. Did they were the goosebumps. Just thinking about it. So <laughs> it was just it just became a common occurrence. They'd yeah. run upstairs, I'd be sound asleep. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a history with the house. So one woman shot her husband in the kitchen, like wow. way early in the early 1900s, and then um, back in the day when there wasn't mental health facilities and things like that, there was a, a later family who had. Um, uh, I think an uncle with mental health issues mm-hmm. and they, they locked him in a room. And unfortunately I think he took his, he took his own life. Wow. So there's two deaths yeah. in the house, yeah. footsteps going on all the time. Yeah. So the running joke in my family is when my brother was born, he was a terror. 
and he scared the ghosts away. All of a sudden, it just stopped. Really? They didn't hear any of this anymore. Like his energy, they, like, yeah. kicked him right out of there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the running joke our whole life has been that uh, my brother Philip scared the scared the ghosts away. Philip, thanks, Philip. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and so you and you also mentioned this before we went live. So did you use that as like is that a was that a fun icebreaker when you started Jebit? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. When you start at Jebit, yeah. um, you're you're asked to do two truths and a lie. Yeah. And so that's a that's a good one to throw in there. Right. All the yeah. time. I was like, ah, oh, it's a lie. Yeah. No, 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 no one no. believes that one. That's 100% true. <laughs> um, cool. So you so I uh, grew up in Weymouth. Yeah. Did you go to Weymouth High School? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I went to Weymouth High. It used to be South and North, and yeah. then the, my junior year it merged okay. together. So that was interesting because yeah. South and North were big football rivalries. Oh. That was like the Thanksgiving game. So year one of that merger, there were a lot of fights, <laughs> a oh, lot yeah. of fights. Oh yeah, well you got rival quarterbacks and rival running backs, and then they're all fighting for the same position. Yeah. And imagine that made for an interesting. It did. Um, I went. Yeah, I went to Bethune High School, which was a pretty big high school, and without any type of tension like that just it's just high school kids at big high schools and i don't know what it is i've talked to a lot of friends in massachusetts tend to have a lot of head butting and yes. jostling for you know who's who's the coolest and most powerful i imagine if two football teams merged at the same school that that would be a lot of tension. yeah there was a lot of tension yeah. and back then right like there wasn't the anti-bullying campaigns yeah. and all the awareness being raised now that mm. um that kids are exposed to right yeah you had your clicks, you had your bullies. Yeah. That's just kind of how it went. Yeah. It went down. Oh, I miss how simple it used to be. Um, let's so let's fast forward a bit um, into all right. You're finishing from uh, you're graduating from Weymouth High School, mm -hmm. and you're surveying, you know, the college landscape. Was it was it always in your plan to? go to college and, and it was just a matter of where and yeah. then like how do you kind of choose where you were going yeah so one really cool um thing that i did at weymouth high school offered a banking program okay and so back it's it's a different name now but it was called south weymouth savings bank yeah and you could take that course and in, and you could work in the bank yeah. during some of your classes yeah and i did that and i they ended up offering me when i graduated high school they ended up offering me a summer job and it, it had banks in yeah. Bridgewater, it had banks in Weymouth, like all the way yeah. down Route 18 yeah. from where I lived to where that was. So um, I loved doing it. And then when I went, um, when I started thinking about school, I was like, you know, I could go away, but I, I liked making money. I liked yeah. not, you know, yeah. th it just seemed like a practical thing to do. Yeah. So I ended up going to Bridgewater State. Yeah. I ended up working at the bank part-time the whole time. I went yeah. to classes on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and yeah. I worked at the bank on on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Nice. Um, so yeah, it, uh, I missed out on some things for sure yeah. that I sometimes feel bad about, but I feel like I I left school with not not just no debt, but I had a, a, a nice yeah. savings account. I was gonna say what you didn't leave school with. <laughs> yes. You did not leave school with massive debt. I did not <laughs> leave school with any debt whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there were, there were some trade-offs in that, but I still think I got a, a great education and nice. I got um, a great dose of reality yeah. <laughs> with that. That's great. And so when you finished at Bridgewater State, uh, where, um, where did you begin your career and what, like, did you, at that point, did you, you it's not, I, I believe at one point you were, were you a theater major and you quickly realized yes. this is a fun hobby, but I really, I also gravitate toward marketing and maybe I can make that a fun career. Yep. So yeah. my first year at Bridgewater, I was a theater major. Um, I had done drama. <laughs> I was in the drama club in high school too. Yeah. So I just thought it was great. I loved soap operas. Yeah. I, I don't know. So, um, so yeah, I did that for about a year and then I realized like, wow, chances are I'm going to probably end up as a waitress in New York yeah. <laughs> trying, you know, yeah. going for roles. New York or LA. <laughs> yeah, or New, yeah. Either one. Or a great, or a barista. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Could have been at Starbucks. Yeah. 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 All of that. Um, and then, and then I really, I started to say, well, I should probably think about some sort of business degree. Sure. And I don't, I'm not, a, I don't love the numbers side. I love the creative side. Yeah. And so marketing just felt like a natural fit for me. Great. Great. And so by the, so you went down the marketing path in college and then you graduated and sort of talk through like where you started your career and like sort of your career journey. Yeah. So I have a nice big waste of a year where I decided to go to um, LA. 
Nice. For a year. I lived in Redondo Beach, right okay. in the ocean. It was amazing. It's um, amazing. I lived in you, Venice yeah, Beach. Yeah, you were there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were far from there. Not right? always. It, it's it, it enriching worldview yes. sort of thing. But also, you could blink and five years could have gone by and not a lot would yep. change. That's the scary thing about LA near the beach. Yeah. Is there's a lot of hanging out. Yes, there's uh, a lot of hanging out. Yeah, not a lot of like... That's what Boston's good about. People are almost working too hard and yep. then when you find that balance here it's i i think there's no place like it yeah uh, but yeah redondo beach yeah nice, it was beautiful but i i took yeah. the first job i got offered which was horrible it was like some oil company like okay. it sold chemicals or something like that yeah. um and i took it just because i needed a job yeah and i was there for about a year but i had a lot of as i was trying to make friends because i was just out there yeah. on my own um I wasn't making genuine friendships, right? When you're also close can, to LA. Also can relate. Yes. yes. There's a lot of who do you know? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What do you drive? Yeah. And as a Bostonian, uh-huh. we cut through that BS oh, yeah. immediately. Right oh yeah, radical, like in our candor sometimes can be confused as hostility. Yep. Uh, oh yeah, yep. been there. Uh, yep. and, and I will say like, this is from my wife and, and many and her few friends that she got close to in LA. It seemed particularly even more difficult for women to connect in LA. It certainly was for my wife. Yes. Um, and we're both outgoing, and um, we both we put ourselves out there. But it was she, she when she would cut through things with many of the female peers that she was interacting with. Like she had, a, you know, she had a hard time. But yeah. but the people I work with, like all the folks from fabric yep. media, like they were all from. Uh, Long Island and and our our founder and CEO is from Hyde Park and yeah. and, and but and I met them out there yeah. and it was just funny so you you're like oh cool you come to the BS oh you're awesome like kind of like I, I met the founder of Fabric at a surf shop he was haggling over like the price of sunglasses and I kind of <laughs> interrupted to haggle over the price of a surfboard rack and he goes hey don't interrupt me and I was like what he goes what are you from Boston I was like yeah he goes where Methuen that's not Boston I'm from Hyde Park. <laughs> Right, and that's how we met. So who, who is yeah. more Boston? Yeah, yeah, we're like, oh, cool. I like that. I'm like, oh, I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah. Um, and just, but that was rare. But when you would meet someone, it'd be like, oh, you're from, you're from Philly. Yep. You're from, you're from DC. You're from Boston. You're from New York. So, uh, totally, totally relate yeah. to that. I listened, I listened to a little bit of that, <laughs> yeah. that podcast too, and it was funny. Yeah, yeah, with Jason, which is why I admitted yeah. to you right off the bat. I'm like, I am not from Boston. I am yeah. from the Burbs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will not claim to be from yeah, Boston. Yeah, that's <laughs> He's gonna totally appreciate, yeah. appreciate that important distinction. Jason Devoto will love that. Um, so year in, in in LA and then back to Boston. Yeah, I yeah. did it for about a year, yeah. and and similar to your wife's yeah. story, I just felt like I wasn't making any kind of genuine connection there. So I wasn't, I just wasn't finding my people. Sure. And so it just kind of got lonely for me. So, um, but it was a it was a great life lesson. Yeah. Um, came back, and then my first job, this, I'm really gonna date myself, was at a recruitment advertising agency in okay. Needham called okay. David Wilson Associates. And that is back when the Boston Globe had about an 80-page help wanted section. Oh, wow. There was no Indeed. There was yeah. no Monster.com. Yeah. There was nothing. Yeah. You put an ad in the newspaper. Right. And so my first job was working with companies, HR. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, people who yeah. needed to place jobs. Right. And so we prided ourselves on being yeah. a creative shop of putting, like, a pretty border around it or okay. a really bold title, right? Okay. Like how do you get cr- that yeah. creative in So a little bit of copywriting, a little bit of art direction. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. It might, you know, it has ads. a logo or yeah. it has a little flower yeah. or yeah. something to stand out in a sea of like yeah. just black and white print. Yeah. What a cool way to also get exposed though to all the companies in Boston. Yes. So you got to network with, imagine you're, you had many HR people at many companies. Yes. So you kind yep. of got to get a sense for what was out there. Did you kind of, Pivot, like, did you lean into that network that you built through that job for your for your next job? Or you know, no, I actually I didn't. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, it was because because my next job actually was working with marketers. I was working okay. the brands that I was working with there. It was HR. Got it. Right. And so then my, my next move was, um, to a direct mail place called Dickinson direct and then got bought by Hart Hanks. Okay. Um, and then it got, it was called like Dickinson direct. Then it was called protocol marketing. And now I think it, Hart Hanks owns it. Um, but then I got into like print and direct mail and, yeah. and my clients were then marketers. Yeah. So that's okay. really when I started building, you know, building up marketing relationships. Cool. And when, as you were working, cause you started to, you ended, 
like you found yourself now at what year, like what year or how long was that between, um, that role and data logics? Like when you kind of started moving toward, did you start to gravitate towards like the innovation economy? Like what was it? That- it was when I got to Digitas. It was when you so, got to so yeah, so yeah. so um, the first two jobs were a couple years maybe yeah. each, yeah. and then I got the job at Digitas, um, and and so I was at Digitas for ten years okay. before I went to Data Logics. Okay. So that, there's a big span between. What that. role did you when you were? at the end of your tenure at Digitas, like what role were you in and like what part yep. what department were you in? Cause now it's rather large. Yeah. So Digitas is a full yeah. service agency. Yeah. I, when I left there, I was vice president of, yeah. um, man, it's more like the, the, the managed services, yeah. the, cool. the, um, the customer relationships. Nice. So I owned, um, the last account I worked on accounts in the early days of Delta airlines and mm-hmm. FedEx and yeah. Royal Caribbean cruise line. Yeah. Um, and then the last account was actually at Boston. Uh-huh. Um, it was Stop and Shop. Okay. Oh, so cool. it's now owned by uh, Hold Del Hayes. Yeah. Um, and they own lots of other banners. But the last several years at Digitas was was a lot of fun. And yeah. I was in the Quincy Stop and Shop office a, a lot. Interesting. If you're having so much fun, why'd you leave? Um, so this little company <laughs> called Data Logics yeah. came in and pitched me okay. for Stop and Shop. Interesting. Um, yeah. The, the, uh, the chairman of the board was friends with the then CMO of Stop and Shop. Mm-hmm. And they had just, so Data Logics started out as a direct mail um, data co-op. Great. So okay. they were working yeah. with multi-channel like catalog retailers right. who um, these retailers agree to give you all their transactional data to be put in a pool so that they can prospect yeah. off of it, yeah. right? So if you think about the, like yeah. the Williams Sonomas and the Crate and Barrels of the yeah. world and all of them, that was the business model. Yeah. And, um, and then they repositioned data logics to focus on digital. Okay. And they started to figure out how do we make that same one-to-one direct mail relationship happen yeah. online. Yeah. So data logics came in and pitched me because the CMO yeah. of stop and shop said, I don't know, go talk to my agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll tell me if this is worth doing or not. Right. And I thought they were really onto something, yeah. but the fun, so the funny part was how I got the job was they came in and they pitched me for like an hour. Yeah. Now, mind you, no one knew what first-party data onboarding was. Yeah. No one knew what ROI was in digital. Yeah. And so they're talking, 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 talking. And at the end of it, they're like, so what do you think? So I said, do you mean to tell me you can take Stop and Shop's loyalty audience, turn that into an online audience, reach just those people, and then tell me when, if they went into store and bought afterwards? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. I go, why didn't you just fucking say so? <laughs> Somehow that got me a job. <laughs> As they were trying to figure out how do we simplify our story and get yeah. agencies and brands to understand yeah. it, my my massive insult of their pitch deck, next thing I knew I was on a flight to Colorado interviewing <laughs> for a position. That's where it's like, whether it's Weymouth or Boston, like that's Boston. Right yes. Yeah. You're like, listen, yeah. like, this, like, why don't you just cut right to the chase? Yeah. Oh, and that's the type of candor that so many people appreciate. Um, and if they don't, they can go screw. Exactly. Um, so so cool. So then you so then you went over to how big was Data Logics at that point? It was pretty early. It was it was early, but they still had that profitable offline business that yeah. was that kind was fueling, fueling the direct the digital, digital business. Digital so business. I think it was about 120 people or nice. so when I joined. A lot of them were more on the legacy part of the business. Okay. And so you mentioned. I think you had mentioned that it was a, it was a CMO at Stop and Shop at the time. Was there a CMO at Data Logics, and what role did you go into? No. Did you at Data Logics you went in as CMO? Uh, no, I went in as VP. VP of marketing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there was there was a, a woman who I I still can talk to and mentor to this day named Sarah who was like. She was, because it was a small, the digital yeah. side was a small startup. She so was she was wearing many hats. Slash admin yeah. to Eric Rosa. Yeah. And she was slash the marketing coordinator. Yeah. And probably managing events yep. and all sorts yep. of things. So okay. I, I came in as really to the, you know, and in, in with Sarah's help kind of built the marketing team. Cool. And so folks in Boston who know this story will know it ends with Data Logics going to Oracle. Yeah. Um, can you speak a bit to when, because this is interesting for, for listeners, for viewers. Mm-hmm. You're at an early stage startup company, and I always like, this is a question that we'll fabric always ask of partners. Like, what's your, like, where are you going? Like, what's your exit strategy? And it's not just, oh, we want IPO. Like, where do you fit? Like, what are your, what are your options? What are your exit options? What are you considering? And let's ideate on what that, where that might be. Um, I'm curious, when you started and as you got, 
your feet under you in that first year, as you were having those types of conversations, as I imagine you were, what type of exits, if at all, were you discussing? And, and then how did you sort of, how did you execute and what were some of the, you know, plans and executions and tactics that you implemented to sort of get to where you got? Because it um, seemed like a pretty um, successful um, exit event. Yes. Uh, so can you sort of speak of like what it's like to be at a company, um, so sustainable having profitability, but really building a new startup within a company and the digital business and yeah. how you were a catalyst in steering that business towards um, a successful exit? Honestly, there wasn't a lot of that discussion. It was really um, keeping everyone focused on let's just build a big, profitable, okay. successful company. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't there wasn't a lot of like pontificating yeah. of all these yeah. what if scenarios. Yeah. Um, we really just took the approach of let's put our heads down and, yeah. and do the work that needs to be done. Right. Um, and and created a category of purchase based data that yeah. hadn't existed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was. So it, it just, wasn't a huge discussion point. Interesting. So then it would just behoove an Oracle to sort of like pull you in for sort of like the data cloud business that they were building. And that's just, and they just can't, they just kind of came knocking on your door. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there yeah. was a lot more yeah. to yeah. it that I was yeah. not involved yeah. with. Right. Yeah. I'm sure with like, uh, the executive team with Eric mm -hmm. Roser and Chris Goggins and all those yeah. guys, Yeah, they may have had very yeah. well had, yeah. had a, um, a lot of those plans in the back of their head all right. along. I'm, I know they did, yeah. um, but I, yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't involved in yeah, that. Yeah, you guys much. are just executing. Mm -hmm. uh, so how many years were you at Datalogix executing uh, before the um, acquisition happened? Yep. Uh, five. Five. And then I was at Oracle for three. And then you were at Oracle for three. Yep. What was it like going from Datalogix to Oracle? <laughs> and what you're willing to share publicly uh, um, what, what was it like I mean I mean culture wise it was I mean imagine there was some everything changed yeah so um, Larry Ellison knew that data was the next big you know what sure. one of the reasons why data logics was acquired many um, of their acquisitions have been yeah 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 so um, Larry knew he wanted to focus on data he first acquired blue Kai. Yeah. They divided up the um, the DMP business and put that in the marketing mm -hmm. cloud, mm -hmm. and then and then kept the third party data business and formed the Oracle Data Cloud. Yeah. And so data we, management platform for you non oh sorry out there. that's okay <laughs> I, I got all that acronyms. I will acronym yeah. drop yeah. Um, <laughs> and so blue Kai, the majority of what the blue Kai data was yeah. was uh, behavioral. Okay. It was site data. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so what Data Logics had done really nicely was build a purchase-based targeting and yeah. all these really unique so, forms of data that so nobody well. else had. Yeah. yeah. So okay. we were the second acquisition um, okay. to form the data cloud. So the, to answer your question, mm -hmm. the change was tough. Yeah. It was, you're, you're, you're in what was a very um, much more nimble and dynamic atmosphere and um, there's process, but not tons of process. Right. Yeah. Um, we were fairly autonomous. If I wanted to, to spend budget on an event, I could do that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and now you're in a world where there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of processes. So you have tape. to yeah. send invoice, yeah. you know, yeah. send contracts all the way up for approval. Yeah. So it was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. And then, um, and then there was also, you know, now there's two different companies coming together two two different cultures, blue kind data logics now coming together to try to form one new culture. Mm -hmm. And then not long after, you know, we made several other acquisitions. So now you've just got, <laughs> you know, four or five different cultures all trying to meld together and find their own way. Wow. So it, it was tough. Yeah. Um, and is that like, were you like three years into that? Were you hope it just opened to opportunities and sort of how did, so how did you meet the, uh, the folks at, at Jebit. Yeah, so uh, the two co-founders, Tom, Tom Coburn and Jonathan Lacoste, um, started Jebit. I should tell you this yeah, yeah. origin story because yeah. this is obviously directly relevant. Yeah. Um, they were Boston College students. Okay. Yeah. And um, the Boston College has a tech star where they can you can win money if you mm -hmm. submit ideas and mm -hmm. your idea is selected. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to figure out what idea they were going to submit to try yeah. to win some money. Yeah. Um, Tom... One of the co-founders was at the airport 
went to watch something on Hulu. Yeah. An ad started, typically what yeah. most people do, right? You open up a second browser, yeah. you check social, yeah. do something like that, and then he came back. And it hit him. Some brand just paid for an ad. Not only did I just not pay attention to, I didn't even see it. I yeah. couldn't even tell you what it was. Yeah. And so the what if at the start of Jebit was what if there was a way to make brand, uh, consumers interact with the ad? Yeah. So brands knew for sure mm-hmm. that, that there, was a, yeah. there was engagement there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how the company started. And yeah. then and then several years ago, what they realized was, wow, all these brands are asking really smart questions, these experiences, and this yeah. data is important. Yeah, this data you can't get anywhere yeah. else but yeah. from the consumer's mouth. Yeah. And so that's when um, we repositioned as a declared data company. Right. And turn the turn that reality and the those interesting engaging questions into part of the interactive experience exactly. that you can build with with exactly. consumers yeah it makes a ton of sense what so what year was it that they first kind of had that aha moment in at boston college like when was that the so, so the company started um about seven years ago okay and about four years ago, they repositioned as a as a data company. Right. They started building yeah. up. They built the platform. They yeah. created these really engaging yeah. experiences. Mm-hmm. And then they they realized while working with brands that yeah. there was so much more than just the yeah. just the engagement piece to it yeah. cool. um, to solve. So to answer your original question, with with that background yeah. now in mind. Yeah. Um, they were obviously looking at data companies yeah. and saw what DataLogix was doing. And so um, both Jonathan and Tom are the masters of networking. Like okay. they reach out and it's so funny. There right. is not there is not an event I yeah. don't go to where someone has met Jonathan or Tom sure. at some point along the lines. Oh, nice. they're, they're great networkers. Um, so Jonathan reached out to me cold on LinkedIn and just said, fan yeah. of DataLogix, would love to pick your brain. That we're a small real. startup. Yeah. And I try. By the um, way, quick note to anyone out there who's like using bots to reach out to people <laughs> on LinkedIn, just be human. It's so easy to get in front of people. Yes. You just got to be human on yes. a one-to-one level. Yes. I can't believe the amount of people that are wasting money on these automated LinkedIn requests and messages. You see right through it. It's like you should, you should literally lose money. Anyone involved in that activity should be docked money. Yep. Um, You see where (laughs) consumers are smart now. They know it. They they see all the tricks. They see through everything. Um, And and B2B marketers see it too. So um, I can't tell you how many solicitations I get that I'm just like. It's insane. It's every every day. It's just like, it's just just noise at this point. Uh, But no, it's cool. It's cool that that's that's how they reached out to you. And and sorry, sorry to cut you off. So, so, uh, so reached out on, on LinkedIn, you're at data logics it was just uh, a very genuine note it was just like we are trying to build this company i would love to pick your brain can i buy you a cup of coffee and i try to make it a point especially with linkedin of like coming from a place of yes and trying to at least minus all the all the solicitations that you know are like auto robot i try to say like i'm gonna say yes to this one yeah so we did and it um our coffee turned into i think like a two hour or three hour coffee yeah and um the same the same gut instinct I had when I heard the data logic story, yeah. like this is what's next, this is what is going to happen in the industry. Yeah. When he was telling me what they were doing, it was that same, same gut thing. reaction. Yeah. I'm like, this is where this it's is, going. Yeah. Right. And like they're ahead, of, they're ahead of where the puck's going. Yep. Yeah. You know, time is running out on third-party data yeah. for a lot of reasons. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And what they're doing and helping, helping build trust and transparency mm-hmm. between consumers and brands yeah. because we just talked about consumers yeah, yeah. they totally. see it yeah um i absolutely thought that is not only where the market yeah. needs to go but was just completely yeah. brilliant yeah so yeah so like where yeah that that's fantastic uh, not only it being table stakes to have that type of an offering where it's just first party data and, and really increasing transparency and trust between brands and consumers but then they also had already thought through and we're going to be like a very highly engaging um interactive like experience company for brands to really um sort of like like you're the the achieving the goal of having consumers participate in in the process um which is where i think like and it seems like even back then um they were already at like the 2.0 phase of a new market that many people have had to or still are 
if you know unfortunately you see many still shifting toward yeah. um so that's great that's great that you had that moment um and i imagine some long coffee conversation turned into some chats and yeah you know, i just it wasn't it wasn't for a while yeah. it was like two years later okay. um we just we just stayed close i hear that a lot that happened a lot yeah, yeah they would um tom and jonathan would just every once in a while say hey you got five minutes or yeah. here's an email you know what do you think of this yeah. over email um i actually introduced them to Eric Rosa, mm -hmm. um, and I went to Eric, and I said, "You got, you got to hear these guys out. What they're doing yeah. is really smart." Thinking yeah. like Eric might want it for Data Logics. Yeah. Um, as it turned out, Eric ended up being an angel investor cool. in the company through that yes. introduction, and then Jonah Goodhart, who is the CEO of Moat. Yeah. <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Um, he ended up being an angel yeah. investor too. Very cool. Moat. Mm -hmm. Another one that went. They went over to. Um, Oracle. Oracle yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're all yeah. In, yeah, it's interesting. You gotta <coughs> when in doubt, just assume that those those data companies are all in, in Oracle Data Cloud now. Yeah, um. and, and or, Oracle Data Cloud's definitely leaning much more into the moat offering mm -hmm. right uh, now with yeah. with um viewability and and yeah. and more you know, more the ad protection business yeah. as as the third party data continues yeah. to kind of take its take its hits. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um we work with I work with some companies in the measurement space. I don't know if you ever come across like iSpot.tv. I I yeah I think I used them like ages ago. Yeah yeah yeah. They, they and they've they've shifted the last few years. Like just real quick, they're because you're a data geek, and for any data geeks <laughs> that are actually following this part of the conversation, um, they founded by the CTO of Demand Media, mm -hmm. and. He had his aha moment where he was watching ads, and then he would like Google the ad, and he's like, "Who's that actress? Or what's that song?" And there was like no central place that was just basically surfacing information about ads. Yep. So he started scraping television ads off hundred plus networks and just putting up and tagging it all. Yep. And then all before you knew it, iSpot.tv was getting you know hundreds of thousands of hits every month. Yep. And they just built a real time TV ad business off it because they realized Nielsen was giving panel based scores six weeks later. So like, oh, cool, we can do this. Now fast forward to today, they've entered into agreements with the data um, licensing uh, sort of subsidiary of Vizio to sort of incorporate glass level data mm -hmm. from complicit opted in, you know, 12 million household panel in the yes. US so that you can very matter of factly know did an ad air on screen and, and then, and then sort of, can you correlate and connect, um, you know, impressions from those TV ads to, um, you know, anonymously to, uh, you know, other, you know, IP addresses that are pinging your website or, or having some sort of activity against your brand. Yeah. So you can actually measure lift. Yeah. Um, so smart. I used iSpot. Yeah. I feel like back, I use when data logics launched their TV okay. audiences. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I use, we use that research tool to figure out how, yeah. like what we should be recommending sure. based on who, yeah. who they were, which is to oftentimes, yeah. um, Many times, how how it's used, and and uh, yeah, so it's there's use cases for the TV networks and media buyers and agencies and stuff too. So we'll have to we can geek out more on data yes. offline, but that's <laughs> that's a world I live in uh, data every, nerd. every day. Um, so talk a bit about what it's been like at um, at Jebit, what you guys are up to now, what you're excited about for the future. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple topics outside of Jebit, I want to make sure we get to, but sure. I'd like, love to just kind of double click on, um, you know, maybe what you're working on in Indianapolis yeah. and, and just some of the, um, you know, recent, recent accomplishments for the company and really what you're looking forward to in 2020. Yeah. We have the best clients. They, they, like, I know everybody says that, mm -hmm. but I will say, you know, they are so willing. I think everyone's rooting for us yep. because they truly appreciate what we're trying to do in the yeah. industry, right? Yeah. Like that's the one, uh, the other reason why I joined Jebit. It's like, wow, I can go to work and feel like I'm really doing something good. I'm doing yeah. something good for the consumers and I'm doing something good for brands. Right. Um, and so they're rooting for us. And so we have clients talking without us even asking, yeah. talking about us on stage when they're presenting yeah. and, um, and willing to do webinars and give us quotes and, yeah. and all of that. So, um, Charisma Hotels is um, and Resorts is one of our clients, Liz. She's fantastic. We yeah. were just um, in Indianapolis this week for Loyalty 360. Mm -hmm. And so we presented together the case study. She is taking, so Charisma owns like Nickelodeon mm -hmm. and um, Margaritaville and then a bunch of like just 
beautiful all-inclusive properties. Mm -hmm. So the the portfolio is broad, right, sure. and diverse. It yeah. could be couples, it That's could right. be family. Yeah. And so she's using us to um, at the at many points along the consumer journey. Yeah. So at an acquisition stage where you could do a product match to figure out what's the right property for you mm -hmm. by asking some fun questions, you know, like who are you traveling with and do you mm -hmm. want to be on the ocean and what's the most important element to this vacation? Yeah. She's able to then recommend the right property. Right. And so on and so forth, yeah. you know, yeah. through intent and then yeah. through loyalty. Yeah. Um, and so she's... She had. She just presented and actually took the took the top prize this Great. week um, on the case study with us, where uh, she's getting a ninety eight percent completion rate. Wow! In all of these experiences, yeah. um, which is crazy. That speaks for itself. Yeah, that's insane, and it speaks to that consumers <laughs> will engage and they will give you yeah. data very transparently yeah. if you're providing them value. Yeah, and that's really what I'm excited about at, at Jebit is is we are very focused on helping brands build experiences that provide consumer value. Yeah. And it doesn't mean monetary value. It could be save me time, mm -hmm. match me to a product, mm -hmm. teach me something new, or yeah. test my knowledge, yeah. right, with trivia. Um, it could just be break down a piece of content and make it more digestible and interesting, and hey, maybe I can rate it along the way. Mm -hmm. um, when you provide consumers value, and when you do it in a fun and engaging and branded way, yeah. We've proven time and time again that they will absolutely engage at crazy rates. Like average, average completion rates are like eighty-five to ninety-five percent. That's insane. Uh, that it can't as a as an ad tech and data marketing nerd. Um, I mean, you're talking about an industry that celebrates, you know, twelve, eighteen percent yeah. sort of. Success yeah. numbers. Yep. So, and I should clarify, <laughs> yeah. this means yeah. that the people that click into the experience yeah. complete the experience all the way through. Right. Just those to, who just to, yeah. Those who have opted in. Yeah. Um, We're not about people's yeah. media plan. Like that's, the, we're not touching yeah. the media plan. But even that, like I, I, I would have to, I worked with this company, Pad Squad, and they were interactive mobile rich media company. Okay. And they had really high engagement rates um, when, like when people opted in. But even their rates, I want to say were like, you know, between 40 and 60% mm -hmm. when someone opted in, like they were still, you know, it was essentially still a coin flip on whether or not someone would actually play through the experience. Yep. Um, so that's, 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 that's really impressive. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just engagement rates cause that only takes you so far, yeah. right? It has to be, yeah. do they buy too? Yeah. And so just to give you another example, yeah. the, the brand I mentioned, poor Moi skincare. Yeah. So they're a cool story. Yeah. They, um, they, their value proposition is that it's climate that mm -hmm. affects what kind of skin care you should wear, not whether your skin's dry or oily or right. how everyone else, how the right. rest of the industry has built it. So yeah, cool. they've put a product match on their site where you go through this fun quiz and it's asking you climate questions, yeah. right? Like today we'd be like, it's yeah. cold, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's dry. Yeah. Um, and then they bring, then they match you right onto their mm. site to the right product. Yeah. So they have 85% of people completing that experience go mm. on to buy. And 65% of that, 85% that buy, buy multiple products oh, wow. at a higher, much higher average order value. Then. So then if you have that, then it just becomes just acquiring new folks in your funnel that yes. are qualified, just better, yeah. good old, good marketing qualified yeah. leads. Because if you have, if you're converting to that at that tilt, then you just need to keep Wow, that's yeah, it's that's crazy. Impressive. That's and like impressive. I said, we have very generous clients who are like, tell yeah. my story, use my quote, see, share yeah. my results. What's the... Um, What's the growth? Like, how much can you speak to, like, growth? Like, I don't know if you can speak to revenues or just, like, can you talk, speak to general, like, just as the company in terms of staff or just number of customers? Like, what in the past year, like, are, are you guys, it sounds like a compelling product, but what's, yeah. how's the general growth of the company? Right no, the, the general growth, the general growth is good. We obviously have some lofty yeah. goals. Yeah. Um, but the, the piece that we're on right now is, is and it, we're trying to make it very easy in trying to show yeah. these stories right now, because yeah. as you and I just talked about, yeah. right? Like yeah. we are doing things that's ahead of the market. Yeah. So you, so you have to you, show, cause you, you can't just tell show. that's it's, it's, it's the first mover disadvantage. 
when you're first mover, as, as I've come to see it, you can't just tell people, well, we have the new first best only thing, FBO, oh, we got it. Yeah. Well, we actually have to show why works. what we have is like way, in, yeah. and so yeah, it's case study, case study, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're like, wait, what's declared data, and how yeah. am I gonna use this, and yeah. where does it go into my tech stack, yeah. and those kind of things, so we are just trying to to simplify it and show these really crystal clear, easy examples yeah. where brands are seeing not only engagement, but revenue through the roof. Very cool. Um, let's look at, kind of shift gears, and this is a nice segue into the couple things you're doing in your local community, but speak about what it's like to be a CMO of a, of a, Boston, of a, of a Boston Innovation Community Company in 2019, the responsibility um, that you know businesses, brands have um, to the greater community and sort of the, any sort of philanthropic or social impact initiatives that, that Jebit perhaps is, is yeah. associated with, but just also more generally what you think the role of businesses are, like, um, just to help positively impact sort of, let's say, you know, socioeconomic change. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm most proud of that we did this year was form a partnership with the Ad Council. Um, it's a group that I have worked with in, in yeah. past lives and just such a fan of, yeah. of the work that they do. Do you work with Emily Caustic by chance? No. Okay. She no. just went over there for one of our partners. Oh, okay. so, like a year or so back, I just talked to her recently at Ad Council and I oh, do some nice. stuff with them at CES. Are you going to CES? Yes. Let's talk CES okay. offline. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, Related to Ad Council. All right. Sounds cool. good. All right. Um, yeah. So, so we're, we, donated our platform. Okay. And um, and so awesome. we did yes. one campaign, um, Anheuser-Busch was doing an anti-buzzed yeah. drinking and driving campaign. Yeah. Um, and so what they were focused on was uh, several concert events that mm -hmm. ranged in musical style and, and ranged yeah. location wise, but they put a lot of signage in bathrooms and everywhere, just yeah. trying to make people aware of the, of what it takes, yeah. all it takes to, to be, be buzzed, buzzed. And, yeah. and then not drive. Yeah. And so um, we played a small role, yeah. you know, they had all the signage, but um, they used our platform to then figure out um, how people got to the concert, mm -hmm. at, you know, asking, asking that question, if they recognized it was more a brand awareness for the campaign, mm -hmm. you know, if they saw those signs, if they paid attention, yeah. and then how they got home. Yeah. And the cool part about it was, uh, Four, I believe it was 14% mm -hmm. of people had changed their uh, decision after the concert. Oh, wow. On, on leaving after that. They saw yeah. the campaign and they changed their decision. Yeah. So we, we were asking questions like, did you, yeah. you know, ride chair, yeah. designated driver, yeah. et cetera. And that was, it was Anheuser-Busch's? Anheuser-Busch sponsored. Anti-Buzz like, campaign. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, 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 that's amazing. So that, well, that's an interesting segue into, let's talk about what you're doing in your local community. Sure. Um, I would, and so vaping second, mm -hmm. texting and driving first. Mm -hmm. I want to stoke your fire. Mm -hmm. And, and I have a, a, a bone to pick with Ted Johnson. You know, Ted Johnson, former New England Patriot. You're a local Yeah, I person. do. Yeah. Okay, so Ted Johnson. My husband's going to kill me for not knowing okay, this one. So, <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's, maybe he's going to bust on you a little bit, but you're, you're going to want to bust on Ted Johnson. Okay. So, uh, drafted by the Patriots in the 90s, part of the original Super Bowl team in 2001, like the, the, the great defense of the early 2000s, the original like Patriots dynasty. He's back in Boston now. He's on radio. He fills in like on shows like Toucher and Rich. Okay. So he filled in yesterday. I happen to listen. I don't get to listen every day. I listened yesterday. He basically was like complaining that when he texts and drives, he gets mad that people in their other cars are visibly distraught with him and telling him to stop. And he's like, people are, and people are overreacting. And so I was pretty livid listening to this. And then I and this was and then I saw your response to what you were working on in your local community, and I was mm -hmm. like, "Well, I'm gonna have to tell Pam about this. We may have like Where who does knows? He live? Yeah, Let's go. we may have to like engage Ted Johnson in maybe a Twitter for some sort of public way and like say like, do you want to back off of that? I don't know, but and maybe it'll help raise some awareness for like how you know what what it is that you're working on. But for what it's worth, clip from the November 13th show of Touch and Rich, Ted Johnson yeah. went on for quite a while. And even the like the regular please, hosts of the yeah, show were they, they were like they were Ted like, they were like Ted like this is one you don't want to push on like come on dude and then like he's like well well the reaction is an overreaction and then Fred Toucher's like well maybe it's a little bit of an overreaction I'm thinking to myself no there's no overreaction to death right 
Like, you can't overreact to, like, The amount of accidents yeah. from now texting and driving is staggering. So speak a bit about staggering. why this is pa a passion of yours and, yeah. and, and some of the things that you're working on and, 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 you know, facts and, you know, ways people maybe can participate and just, you know, awareness and, and, and hopefully helping change. And, and it seems like locally you're... You're helping people um, face some real punishment for for texting and driving, and Trying. maybe we need more of that. But 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 go ahead. Yeah, tell, tell it us. was it was a full uh, mama bear yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, I was on maternity leave with the mm -hmm. three year old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the three year old. With the oops. <laughs> the, yep. The yeah. oops. Yeah. Thanksgiving surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was on maternity leave. Yeah. She was about maybe a month old. Not okay. even. Okay. And there was there's a road in our town yeah. that has a has a sharp turn, and yeah. I'm driving in it, and I see and. I'm not yeah. going to say who it was, but I actually knew who the yeah. woman was. Yeah. Like, I know her. She's yeah. in my town. Yeah. But she was coming at me around that corner, and I could see her clear as day looking down at her phone. Yeah. And so instead of taking the turn, she came right over into my lane. Yeah. And I had to go off the road yeah. into, like, a little bit of a cornfield, yeah. fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was there. Wow. Yeah. And I just I, – I couldn't move for about 20 minutes. Yeah. I, it was – you know, yeah. I've got a brand-new baby in the back of my car. Yeah. And she didn't even have a clue that she did it. Like she was looking down. She didn't even. She didn't even know she ran me off. Like, her. did you engage her after? Because you know her. Or, no, or I let. I let that one yeah. go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But instead, I just. So what happened was, I went home, um, and the Bridgewater resident. Like, there's a Bridgewater Facebook page, okay. right? Bridgewater residents page, yeah. and unfortunately, like one probably, of the better uses for Facebook are the like community pages. Yeah. Yes and no. Yes and no. Yeah. It's the complaint center. That's true. Of everybody. Every, yeah. It's where everyone goes just to yeah. completely bitch about everything. Yeah. And so, and that's what stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. I went home and I went and I got mm -hmm. on Facebook and I went yeah. to the residence page and I started typing. Yeah. And I was about to complain and I was like, you know what? I am no better than anyone else that drives me crazy when they go on the Bridgewater residence page and yeah. complain about something. Yeah. So I deleted it. I just stopped and walked away and I'm like, well, what can I do about it? Yeah. So instead, I created a GoFundMe account, mm -hmm. and I used it instead of just to complain. Yeah. I used it to say, this has to stop, and I shared my story about what happened. Yeah. And I was like, if you are as sick of this as I am, you know, please, please, please yeah, consider donate. giving a small donation, and, and we're going to create a campaign around this. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, it was posted on all the town pages. It was posted by the local Bridgewater yeah. you know, news, yeah. um, and everyone really embraced it. And yeah. I got about $2,500 worth of donations, Yeah. and we were able to present, um, print lawn signs and bumper stickers. Yeah. I still have one in my car now. Yeah. And, um, and uh, then I approached the chief of police, yeah. Chief Del Monte. In Bridgewater and he was super supportive Great. and so um, they created on weekends they did a bunch of sting operations in the center of town yeah. and we're just pulling people over yeah so fortunately with my marketing background yeah, yeah. I got I got the Brockton act. Enterprise to Going cover to and some yeah. and some of the other yeah. the other local um, news to cover yeah and so we were we were able to make a, yeah. a pretty good yeah pretty some good noise about it yeah that's wonderful I mean it's I mean it not to go into deep detail, like I, I, not to go into deep detail, but I have a really good friend um, who's here in Boston and runs his own company. And last almost about a year ago now, it was probably about November, might have been December. He was struck by a car with a young person that was texting and driving, and um, he had such a bad concussion. He was out of work for six months, um, and it was. We're really sad and it's just, it's so easily avoidable and it's just like That's really, and it's just, but when you like, that was the first time I really experienced like someone that was in my life that just had just a devastating injury from just carelessness. So, um, how is he now? He's better. He still has to go in for his, like his, like he's got like blanket on the Boston Bruins player that had really bad concussions and had to basically retire. But like, he's, He's at the highest threat level of like, you know, like concussion. But his his turns out his brain isn't damaged. Um, but he's more susceptible to damage and harm and has to yeah. be very careful. It's like when they say once you get a yeah. concussion. But like exposure to, to too much light like still like too much sound, too much light and um it's and it's been a year. Um but the last six months have been a lot better. Yeah. But yeah, it's real um, but devastating though. So but, um, tremendous what you've done and, and we'll definitely, um, we'll share that when we get the, this story out. Um, and talk to me about vaping. This actually came up with, um, 
with uh, someone I was chatting with earlier today just about the um, honestly just how rampant it is with young people yeah. and then you have very specific stories to share on how um, vaping is pretty prevalent um, yeah. with teenagers so like what what have you noticed and like how have you gotten involved in that yeah I feel like this is yeah. Joe Camelar all over yeah. again right yeah like yeah you're clearly saying you're not marketing it to kids but you're absolutely marketing the flavors it to kids. are marketed at kids like adults like, yeah they, they, who wants a banana split you know, vape pen, yeah, like other than a ridiculous. 14 year old. So, um, last year, my, my son's 13. So last year, mm -hmm. um, several kids in his school got suspended and got caught vaping. A couple of them were actually good friends of his. And, um, fortunately my husband and I have a very open, like we hit tough issues with our yeah. kids all the time. And yeah. so, um, fortunately for me, Braden did not participate yeah. in that. And in fact, he was in the room and turned it down, yeah. which was like, wow, yeah, super right. proud. <laughs> Do, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. you know, you That's win cool. some days, you lose some days, but that was a that was yeah. a day I won. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it, we were all all of the mom friends, like the families, we were just all kind of in a state of shock. Like, right. wait a minute, wait a minute, wow. they're they're twelve, they're thirteen, yeah. like okay. this, it's hitting them now. Well, they're seeking it. They're, who's supplying it to them? Then came all the questions. Yep. So, so as it turns out, some um, kids with older siblings uh -huh. in high school yeah. and others were selling them yep. to the younger kids. Yep. They were leaving the high school. They were going over to the yeah. the middle school, and mm -hmm. and they were selling them for like thirty or forty bucks a pop. Wow! So um, a bunch of kids got caught. Yeah. Suspensions were handed out. Um, the, I worked with, I also get, um, have, have partnered with the superintendent of the school from time to time on these things, nice. like, like yeah. the put it down campaign, but sure. I also yeah. reached out to him and said, Hey, can we have a meeting and what can we do yeah. about this? So they've done more, they've increased the assemblies. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot more assemblies on vaping and, and teaching the kids. Educating. Um, yeah. yeah, but then, so I think Braden and some of his friends are in a really good place and they yeah. learned very valuable lesson. And then this sort of reared its ugly head again. Um, a couple months ago where another mom friend of mine found out her, not only her son had been vaping, but he had been vaping for like a year and he was completely addicted oh, and no. he was and crying and saying, no. Yeah. Um, and, and he was like, I can't quit. Like he was yeah. completely addicted to it. Yeah. And so, um, it, it just, yeah. it's just horrible. Yeah. Cause now you start to th like, so now thinking backwards from that, I mean, un unfortunately, you know, you can do all the, proactive things and, and make a preemptive strike against it happening, but it's going to happen. So now you got to start thinking about like, all right, well now we need treatment plans yep. to help get these young people off of something that was marketed, really marketed to them. And, and there's, um, you mentioned Joe Campbell, there's definitely some, uh, you know, who's complicit in this. I think it, it's maybe years down the line when folks may start, I'm facing some negative repercussions from a business standpoint yeah. based on marketing. And I don't know how, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer, but I have many a lawyer friend that I'm sure would, would be interested in working on some, some casework to kind of take down companies that are benefiting from all this. Yeah. Um, but yes, some, some of the yeah. cigarette companies are investors in the vape company. Yeah. So it's like, what's all, you know, it's, they're basically just, you know, they found their, their new Trojan horse into creating, creating early addiction. Yeah. So, uh, so hopefully we can find ways to deal with that. Um, are there, it, and I can't remember if, if, if you had alluded to this, but if there's, but any um, programs or facts or educational resources, it sounds like you've done a good job working with your school, but there might be some fathers and mothers that are listening or watch and they're like, oh, like they may want to, it's almost like you create, so it's, you create a couple frameworks with texting and driving yep. and with the vaping. Yep. Um, and so reach out, I'm sure Pam will gladly yes help provide like a bit of a working framework to go to your, you yeah. know, he, local head of a pol police or a superintendent and, and sort of provide, you know, there's, cause I think that's, that's one thing that that's bi I'm big at with Boston speaks up is yeah. like uncovering frameworks and things that are working in a certain area and then making sure that, you know, like minds in different yeah. areas share it. Right. Absolutely. Like it's making sure, you know, to give you an example, um, David Delmar Santias, he runs resilient coders mm -hmm. and, um, since we've been throwing out stats today, I'll throw out a stat. <laughs> so only accepts um, blacks and Latinos into the Resilient Coders program that haven't gone to college. And it's a 15-week program. It's done on the Cambridge Innovation Center. When they complete the, those who finish the 15-week program, 
96% are placed in a job in Boston at an average salary of $95,000. Amazing. That's change, right? That's change. And then my, my buddy Roman Hakes that teaches, um, he's a computer science engineer at Philips Health System. I met him through Snapchat because he's a Snapchat lens creator. He's teaching young people in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is near and dear to my heart. I'm from Methuen, mm-hmm. my wife's mm-hmm. from Lawrence. She used to go and do programs like this at Lawrence Public Library. So Roman goes to Lawrence Public Library and teaches um, young people how to basically code and create Snapchat filters. And so they have like a real tangible way of experiencing technology. That's awesome. uh, and so connecting those two yeah. and, and sharing their frameworks to lift each other up is sort of um, a common theme yeah. here. So I would be yeah. more than happy to share with yeah. anyone. I think it's cool. really um, what's been successful each and every time is get to know your school superintendent. Yeah. Get to know the chief of police. Yeah. And you, you have to pull those community leaders yeah. in. And, um, and we also went to um, a town hall, yeah. like a town council meeting as well. Yeah. Cool. So it's just getting to getting to know your community leaders and hopefully they are people that are open and, and will listen nice. and work with you. Pam, this has been a pleasure. We ran a little over, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. That Me was a, too. That was a fast hour. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was fun. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Cheers, Boston. Bye.